Hey, 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 how's it going? Good. Good. How I'm glad. I have my wrong. I have my wife's name on my video. Hang on. There we go. Okay. Cool. Thanks so much for doing this. I really appreciate it. This is a very strange project that uh, it makes me a bit uncomfortable because I have to be uh, kind of putting things out in public, which I don't normally do. So I appreciate you taking the time. I'm looking forward to it. Uh, tell me how these things tend to go. And, uh, and re please remember, we've got to stop at uh, five to the hour. So I get ready for my one o'clock. Absolutely. Yeah, I remembered that. Um, yeah, usually the way these things go is I'll just ask you some some questions um, that I've obviously shared in advance. Uh, I don't expect to be doing too much talking. I might chime in with the point I agree with you on, or I will ask a follow-up question that is um, not too sensitive, because the uh, objective for this is to reach both uh, Chinese and American audiences. So I'm, I chose my words very carefully in the questions that I sent you. Yeah, I noticed that. And I like that. That uh, gives me a chance to be cautious myself or or go to whatever boundaries I want. Totally. Okay. Um, if it's okay with you, uh, I think I, I'm going to hit record on my my phone. I'm already recording the Zoom, but we can just uh, we can just get started. And and is this the podcast itself or is this a warm up? Oh no, this will I will post the audio um, to the website, um, and then I'm doing one with Liz uh, next Thursday, and then I have mm -hmm. a few other folks uh, lined up as well who are excited uh, about this type of project. So it should be fun. Perfect. Okay, good. We're on. Okay. Perfect. Thanks for, so much for joining me today, today, Dale. I really appreciate it. I appreciate being here, John. Thanks for asking me. Yeah, no worries. So I think I'd like to start up with a question that I think that you would be very well positioned to answer. And that is, what do you think are some of the basics that people should know about the Chinese financial system? And how does the management of the Chinese financial system sort of compare to the American system or other systems? Well, great question. And uh, I, I know that you're already an expert on this because we just spent a whole term together talking about this in our uh, MBA course on China's financial system. But let me just highlight uh, what I think um, might be interesting for listeners. If you look at all the the players on the playing field in China's financial system, they tend to have the same kinds of roles and names that we have in the American system. You have banks, we have securities dealers, we have a central bank, we have asset managers and so on, insurance companies and so on. Uh, what's different is that China has a system which they call state-directed capitalism, which means that uh, although many of these firms are for-profit, they're also working for the government. They're largely owned and operated by China's government, either at the state level or at the federal level. Now, not all of them. You've heard about the household names like Alibaba and Tencent and so on. Those are private firms that are not state-owned. Uh, but on the other hand, if someone in the, the, the China's state council were to pick up the phone and call Jack Ma, or some uh, or, or Pony Ma, and say, uh, you know what? We would really prefer uh, that you change your business strategy so as to do more of this rather than that. <clears throat> they would be very likely to agree. 
um, because there's an understanding that um, one needs to play ball with the authorities in China in order to succeed. And also there is a general sense in which companies are kind of pulling for the common good in China and not, uh, not entirely uh, being run for shareholders. Gotcha. I think that, that that makes that makes a lot of sense. One question that some listeners may be interested in understanding, because a lot of the literature is only available really in Chinese, is what sort of challenges does the uh, current financial system in China sort of face? And do you see that these challenges might impact the rest of the world? Yeah, China's, uh, China's economy in general and its financial system in particular faces a number of challenges. One of them is the state-directed capitalism system that I just mentioned, which means that they don't have untrammeled uh, uh, kind of free market principles that, that uh, direct their growth. <clears throat> now, that's not to say that you want that. In the United States, we had that leading into the financial crisis of 2008 and it didn't work out so well. And by the way, a number of officials in China remarked on that and said, we don't want any of those American uh, types of mechanisms in our financial system. But having said that, it is, it is a limit. It doesn't seem to be holding them back much. The, growth, the economic growth rate in China is enormously high. And within 10 years, China's economy will be larger than the US. Having said all that, if I were trying to grow an enterprise in China, I would be concerned about access to global capital markets because China has capital controls and it's very difficult uh, to get two-way uh, investments going, foreign direct investment, or uh, to create incentives for investors to create wealth in China in order to diversify by offshoring that wealth. That's just not allowed in China beyond a de minimis amount for large, uh, for large investors. So uh, that, that also plays uh, some, places some limits. The United States also has very large benefits in terms of the US dollar being the reserve currency for the world and the US bond market being really so well developed and accepted globally and really a standard for um, a foundation for capital markets globally. And also the US does have a rule of law uh, approach to using the courts to adjudicate disputes, whether contractual or civil litigation or even criminal litigation. And that provides comfort uh, to market participants in the United States that there is a degree of fair play that allows them to have predictable outcomes for their business strategies. That's less the case in China. It's more uh, what the state wants and what your relationship with the state is. If you are at a large state-owned bank, uh, well, you may have an advantage over a small private bank or, or a fintech firm. Uh, so, you know, that's, that's a, it's a different system uh, as we started out uh, in our discussion today. Understood. One of the things that you mentioned just now that I think is, is very relevant is the United States has historically had the dollar sort of have a status as being the global reserve currency. And many of my uh, many folks in my network and subscribers have noted that the New York Times posted a pretty interesting piece on the, the rise of the uh, EUN in China or the Shuzi renminbi. I was, I was curious, what is your take on, 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 on this new technological development and how do you think it might impact the, the global financial system? Well, once again, John, you're speaking from the viewpoint of a very knowledgeable person. Uh, your term paper last quarter in, uh, in our class together was uh, really great. I think you did that uh, you're with, uh, uh, who was your 
co-author on that, Jen? Yeah, with Jen Kalidas. Yeah, Jen Kalidas. That was a spectacular uh, summary of the state of play in China's new digital currency. Uh, so you you know what I'm going to say. Um, the it's a very exciting uh, development. Uh, first of all, China's way ahead of the United States and the rest of the world on fintech payments, generally speaking, and particularly mobile payments. Uh, and the United States has a lot of lessons to learn from how China did that. But now China is stealing another march on the rest of the world with a central bank digital currency, which is being tested in five cities and is going to be rolled out at the Beijing Olympics next year. And it's a, a it's it's not really technologically all that amazing. It's not using blockchain or any kind of advanced technology, um, but it does change the monetary arrangements in China in a way that uh, will have a big effect, uh, particularly for rural uh, users of the financial system who will now be more included in the financial system. It also may cramp the style of the same firms, Tencent and Ant Group that we spoke about because they offer a fintech payment firm, fintech payment services that are quite similar actually to what the new central bank digital currency will offer. An interesting question is the extent to which China's new central bank digital currency will affect the rest of the world. So what will other central banks do? Will they speed up? I heard on BBC last night that there's now a race going on among central banks around the world to catch up with China because they want, uh, first of all, to serve their citizens with better payments. And they also, I think, don't wanna be dominated by a new technology coming out of China. There's concerns about uh, China having dominance outside of, outside of uh, its, uh, its own borders with respect to digital payments. And those concerns are of various types, commercial, geopolitical, and so on. It's a bit like the space race between Russia and the United States back in the 60s. Maybe the investment isn't nearly as large, um, but the prestige is, is there. And also there is a technological, uh, commercial and, and uh, geopolitical advantage uh, for China in rolling out this digital currency now. I don't think in the end, it's gonna make a big difference for the urban users, uh, you know, every day going in for your coffee or buying your groceries or giving your friend some money. You can already do that pretty well on Alipay and WeChat Pay. Um, but it will allow China's government to consolidate its position uh, in the payment system and uh, maybe help hold off those payment services and support the state-owned banks uh, in, or, in their competition with those fintech payment services. And it also has some potential political ramifications. Yeah, I think that I think that all makes sense. And one thing I was hoping that you might be able to, to comment on is one of the great things that, that China has done is they've done a lot of work on the Belt and Road Initiative throughout numerous countries in Africa and across the world. And I was curious, how do you think that the EUN plays into the uh, Belt and Road Initiative from your perspective? Well, that's a fascinating question. Uh, and I actually am having a hard time making up my mind whether the countries along the Belt and Road or other emerging market countries will say on the one hand, well, no thanks, because we don't really don't want... Um, to use Chinese technology in our payment system. We wanna control our own payment system entirely with our own homegrown banking system. And we're not even sure we want a central bank digital currency at all. On the other hand, they may say, yeah, we really wanna get with the program. We need that technology. Here's a way to get it fast and cheap from China, probably with technical support. They're very much along the lines that the Belt and Road Initiative took, which, in which um, 
as you know, and others may know, uh, allowed uh, some countries on the Belt and Road to get new infrastructure with attractive financing terms. And now some of them are regretting that uh, for various reasons, some, some related to being now deeply in debt to China, some related to um, what, what many have described as uh, intrusive um, um, aspects of China's participation in their economies. I don't know whether, <clears throat> whether the digital currency will follow that pattern or not. I'm actually, as I said, very uncertain about whether uh, other countries will use um, China's digital currency, which is called uh, DCEP or digital currency electronic payment system, or whether it would be used for cross-border payments, which is a different application. Right now, I think it's quite forecastable that it will be used heavily inside China. And I think it's at this point, anyone's guess how it will be adopted internationally. Although I am looking into that now, as you know, uh, I'm doing some research on that and thank you for your help with that as well. Absolutely. It's a really interesting area of discussion because it is very dynamic and the ground is moving as we speak. So it's all, it's all very exciting. One of the things I did want to ask you, I wanted to ask you about was really around the US and, and China. I think that it's rather unfortunate that in the current state of the world, it's fair to say that the relationship between the United States and China is, is rather fractured. And I think one area of discussion that's perhaps not as discussed as much as it should is what do you think are some potential areas of cooperation between the United States and China? Is, is digital currency one of them? Or how do you think about potential areas for us to work together? Well, it is, it is at a kind of uh, local low point, um, but I hope it's not so low that, that we have to get started by ping pong again uh, and start with the very basic uh, lowest possible level of cooperation. We, we're already, there is a lot of interchange commercially and politically between China and the US and the rest of the world. It's just very unfortunate that we've gotten to the point uh, where relationships are so um, uh, fractured, I guess one could say, and there's so much um, sentiment, uh, some of it, some of it uh, legitimate on both sides, some of it uh, maybe overhyped. Um, I, I, I've been reading some of the statements coming out of the two sessions meetings in China recently. <clears throat> and I can see some officials in China reacting quite strongly against uh, the United States. And I, I just hope that the, um, that the dialogue can be improved. Um, but both countries do have some serious axes to grind. And uh, they're two giants, I mean, both economically and militarily kind of circling each other for control, at least regionally, if not globally. And with China's on the ascendancy with its economy, the United States is probably justly concerned about its own national security and technology advantages and military advantages. And China is at the same time uh, concerned about not being contained. So it's the uh, uh, and, and it's just, it's just, uh, it's just interfering a lot with the normal progress of uh, global commerce. I'm, I'm, although it achieved a bad name over the recent years, I'm actually a kind of a globalist, and I would like to see countries get along better <clears throat> and less. Uh, and while nationalism is a is a healthful force in some respects, it can be a harmful force on the international scene. Uh, so we'll see, uh, but I do think it's going to take a while. The, the new, the change in the U.S. administration has shown no sign that it's actually going to let up 
on China in terms of containment, although <clears throat> President Biden's team is adopting a somewhat more civil tone, uh, as far as I can see. Uh, and th there's always the uh, opportunity that things could improve, and I'm hopeful that they will. Absolutely. I, I very much share the same sentiment. And so the last question I, I had for you, because one thing I really admire about China is they really try to learn from, from other people, whether it's sending Chinese students to the United States to top tier universities and having them come back to work in, in the Chinese economy. I think that the United States hasn't done a great job of learning from China. So I was curious, what do you think that the United States could learn from China? Uh, well, uh, there, there's a long list. I mean, we, we started today with mobile finance and uh, fintech payments. China's way ahead in that area. Uh, then there's the historical perspective that China tends to bring to things. So for example, China's been around as a civilized country for, you know, with ups and downs, of course, and revolutions and wars for 5,000 years. And over the course of time, uh, its government has learned patience, has learned the value of building for the long run and of planning not just a year or two ahead or to the next election cycle, but 50 years ahead. We've heard about plans for China's economy 10, 15, and 25 years from now. And they really build towards that. Now they do have an advantage there. They have an authoritarian state and that's an advantage with respect to long-term planning and the, and the ability to build infrastructure where it's needed. It's of course a disadvantage uh, from the viewpoint of um, some of the uh, freedoms and rights that Americans uh, uh, rely on and take advantage of. So two different systems, um, each can learn from the other. Uh, and I, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm Canadian, I'm kind of neutral on the whole deal, but uh, uh, I would like, as I mentioned in, in answer to your previous uh, question, uh, to see that dialogue continue and for the United States to continue to learn from China. I mentioned infrastructure. I mean, China's high-speed railway system is the envy of most of the rest of the world. It didn't start there, but uh, the United States sure, sure could take a lesson on how to improve its transportation infrastructure. On the other hand, the United States is making <clears throat> great strides in other areas. Uh, so there's, it's a two-way two learning process. Yeah, no, I think that that's right. I'm very curious to see how the United States goes about thinking about history as the Chinese do, the future as the Chinese do, and I do hope that we see some infrastructure improvements. So I think that, that that's a good place to stop. We've talked a lot about various areas uh, for cooperation as well as areas where the United States can, can learn from China and some of the different facets of the Chinese financial system. So thanks so much for the short podcast, Daryl. I really appreciate your time. Well, John, thank you. <clears throat> your questions were great. You really drew me out on some of the most important issues. And I guess that's possible for you because you already are quite steeped in, the, in, uh, in both uh, China and the US economy and culture and you speak Chinese as well. It gives you an advantage. Ah, I'm, I'm trying. I'm trying. Thanks so much, Professor Duffy. I appreciate it. Thanks. Thanks for today, John. Cool. I'm just going to stop recording.